the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When Christ returns, the defining and distinguishing feature of those who belong to him will be the kindness shown to the least of these in the name of Jesus and for the glory of God. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. I want you to have a different kind of Christmas this year. And I think you can find that in the least likely places. But we're going to begin in a very familiar place. Take your copy of God's Word and learn and turn to Luke chapter 2. Just a moment, we'll begin reading the most familiar account of the birth of Jesus Christ. You remember the comic strip, Peanuts, Charlie Brown and Lucy? They were always getting into trouble. Lucy was always frustrating Charlie Brown and vice versa. One day, Lucy walks up to Charlie Brown and she says to him, Christmas is a time to be kind and forgive one another. Charlie Brown responds innocently, as he always did, and he said, why can't we have that Christmas spirit the rest of the year too? And Lucy just looks at him and says, what are you, some kind of religious fanatic? Isn't it interesting that today, kindness, that spirit of Christmas, really would make you stand out. We live in a world that is in need of kindness. We live in a world filled with hate and anger. And it's in everything. Do you see it? It, It's certainly true in sports, but we probably shouldn't talk about that after rivalry weekend. But it's true in every area of life. We see people get angry and hateful about politics. And we see them get that way even when it comes to their faith. In my social media, just because of who I am and what I do, most of the people connected with me in social media are followers of Christ. And some of the most angry and hateful statements I see are are from those who profess to follow Christ. But they're against those who may believe a little differently than them. I think we're in need of a little bit of kindness Our world needs that today. It should be simple. My wife is, I think, the best preschool teacher that's ever been. And I've watched her now for all of our marriage teach children the simple principle. Be kind. Say that with me. Just say, be kind. It's scriptural, by the way. Paul said to the church at Ephesus, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. 
It's not only scriptural, it's characteristic of the fact that Christ is in you. That you are a child of God filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Because one of the fruit of the Spirit described in Galatians 5 is kindness. Look at that. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you're not kind, you don't appear to have the Holy Spirit filling your life. But kindness... Kindness seems to be so foreign in this hate-filled world. Kindness, being focused on others, it makes not only our lives, it makes the world a better place. It embodies the life and the message that comes through the birth, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. It takes our focus off ourself and the selfishness that consumes us. In a world of takers, it makes you a giver. It should be easy to be kind, but it's not. So that's why I want to draw you to the central truth from Luke chapter 2. Here it is. We'll repeat it several times. In a crowded and chaotic world, a small act of kindness can make a big and lasting impact. Let's read that together. In a crowded and chaotic world, a small act of kindness can make a big and lasting impact. I want you to see that in this familiar story. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all in the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. And then this phrase, which I think becomes the focal point of today's teaching time. A a phrase that you could just glide by, a phrase that's talked about and we actually attribute a lot more fact to than we have here in the text. A phrase that simply says, because there was no place for them in the end. May God bless the reading of his perfect word. Let's pray together. God, most of us in this room have heard those seven verses many times in our lives. We've read of the account of your birth, Jesus, and it becomes, unfortunately, something like a fairy tale or a fable to us. And yet as we read this today, we declare we know this is the truth. This is a true story of love come down. Of God become man. Of an act of kindness that changed everything. So God, as we think about that this morning, I I pray that you would give us new ears to hear. And that we would learn things we have not known That we would receive things we do not have. And that we would be molded and shaped into men and women that look more like Jesus. And so let that begin, God, with me in every moment of this time. May the words I say and even the thoughts please you. There's so many things that can distract us from why you brought us here. God, help us to zero in on your truth. And the hope and the promise you offer. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's simple. In a crowded and a chaotic word, a simple act of kindness can make a big and a lasting impact. Are you making a big and lasting impact in your little corner of the world? Are you known as a kind individual? I want you to understand the context of what we just read. This is a climactic point in God's love story. All of this is God's love story to us. But at at this moment in time, God is bringing his children together so that they can be counted. So it's a reminder to me that God's love story really is and always has been and always will be about everyone everywhere. There are not those excluded from the love of God. His love story is for everybody. So here what's taking place is the children of Israel were gathering in the city of Bethlehem. Then it was a small town, unimpressive. Today, it's a small town, even less impressive. At the end of this month, I'll be there with a group from our church. I met with them last week and I explained, we're going there because you can't go to Israel without going there. But just know, this is not the most impressive part of your trip. In fact, when you go to look at the place of Jesus' supposed birth, you go through a church. It's kind of cool because it's a big cathedral and you you have to bend down to go through the door, which is just a reminder that we humble ourselves as we enter into the presence of God. And then you recognize that you're in a church that's really a piece of property controlled by three different Christian religious groups. They all stake claim to this cave. So up under the altar there in the church is uh, two stairwells that you can go down in and see a cave underground that's still preserved there today. And it may be the cave in which Jesus was born. But it's not impressive. In fact, the only other thing you'll do in Bethlehem if you go to visit that site is you go to what's called the shepherd's field. And like everywhere in Israel and most places in the world, it's become a tourist site. Uh, There is a church that's been built in that area. And so you see a, a littered field today and imagine that that's where the shepherds encountered the angels and were guided to the presence of Jesus. But in in that census, in in that particular story, Joseph and Mary were coming to Bethlehem to be counted. I read that and I'm reminded that while that was a census, and we're about to go into a census, right? We're about to end this decade and enter another decade in the 2000s. Can you believe that? You've just got one more month till we enter another decade. And and so there'll be a census. Some of you may work the census. Same thing was taking place there. There was a counting. And I hear that and I'm reminded there's going to be an accounting. We studied in Acts how Paul went to the city of Corinth. And we talked about in Corinth how you can still go and stand in the Bema seat. The place where the city officials would let the parade come by and, and review what was taking place. The spoils of victory or the defeats of the battle. Now the Bible says that one day we will all stand before the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ. And I'm reminded we'll all give account. We'll all give account for what we've done in the name of Jesus and for his glory. So as this story focuses on the birth of Jesus, we're reminded at the end of these seven verses that it came to the place that Jesus needed a place to be born and there was no place for him. 
Isn't it interesting? We've concocted a lot of stories, and in our manger scenes and in our nativity depictions, we even have the innkeeper, but he's not mentioned here. All we know is there was no room for Jesus in the inn. And it makes me think about my life as I enter into the Christmas season. Have I made room for Jesus? It makes me think about your life, by the way. Are you making room for Jesus? So our our central truth is that in this crazy and chaotic and crowded world, all it takes is a small act of kindness to make a big and a lasting impact. But I'm not sure you can do that if you're not making room for Jesus. But that night, there's one who did. We don't know his name. But he gave his cave, we assume. Not an elaborate room. Not a nice crib. But a cave. A stable as we think of it. A place where the animals were kept out of the rain and away from the bandits. The same would be true for Mary and Joseph that evening. A simple place. And I hear that and I'm just reminded that God never has been about our ability He's always been concerned with our availability. He's never focused on all the things that you have. He just wants you to focus on him with what you have. So we're told that there was no room for him in the end. I want you to understand something in this passage today. When we choose to make space for Jesus, when we make space for his grace in our lives, he uses us to touch others and to demonstrate his love in practical ways that carry on the truth of the gospel message. In other words, when we act out in kindness, kindness causes us to say there is room to those whom others say, there is no Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. I want to remind you because some of you are new. When you ask a question in church... And if you don't know the answer, there's a good chance you can guess. So for those of you that have been around a little bit, I'm going to ask the question again and let you show them how it works because you failed that test as well. So this phrase, the least of these, do you know where it comes from? Right. It comes from the words of Jesus. In Matthew 25, Jesus is telling this story, and it's really intriguing. Listen to it in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and the angels with him, he will sit 
on his glorious throne. Now, I've got to stop there because I want to remind you of a spiritual doctrine that we believe in our church. Just as we believe that Jesus is God entered this world as a man in human flesh, just as we believe that's a true story, we also believe that Jesus is coming again. And that's significant because if I follow Christ and I believe Jesus is coming again, that's going to make a difference as to how I live because I'm going to begin to understand, oh, one day I may stand before him. Like we said a moment ago, one day I may be counted. In fact, why don't you just say that with me? Say Jesus is coming again. He is. Look at verse 32. Before him will be gathered all the nations. I love that too, especially in our church. I love the reminder that our God is a God of the nations. His love story always has been, always will be for everybody, everywhere. He will gather all the nations and he'll separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you. As you did it to one of the least of these my brothers. You did it to me. Some of you know that passage goes on to describe those that the king cast away. But I want you to stop and think about something for a second. Here's the truth I want you to grasp. When Christ returns. The defining and distinguishing feature of those who belong to him. Will be the kindness shown to the least of these. In the name of Jesus. And for the glory of God. When Christ returns. The distinguishing feature. The thing that defines us. As children of God. As followers of Christ. Will not be how many times we sat in a big box like this. It will not be the songs that we learned and preferred to sing. It will not be the clothes that we wore to church. When we stand before God. When Jesus returns. The thing that sets his tribe apart from everybody else. Will be how they dealt with. Those that society calls the least of these. So how do we live our lives intent on showing that kind of kindness? I'm going to give you three simple ways. This may be the most practical message you'll ever hear. Here's the first way. We look for those that others do not see. We look for those that others do not see. To most in Bethlehem, Joseph and his pregnant teenage wife were simply faces in the crowd. But to one unnamed person, they saw them. Do you see the people that no one else sees? Maybe it's better to ask this. Do you see people as God sees people? One of my favorite teaching times in recent months was when we walked through the story of the Good Samaritan. And I taught you a biblical flow of how to live in life. I I taught you that... When we understand who we are, 
that affects what we see. In other words, if my identity is in Christ, if, if he's the most important thing to me, if he's my priority, I'm going to see everything I see through the filter and the grace lens of Jesus. And what I see is then going to affect what I feel. So if I'm seeing things through the filter of Jesus, then I'm going to feel the things that Jesus feel. I'm going to be moved as he was moved. Remember the story of Jesus as he stood on the Mount of Olives looking over Jerusalem, and the Bible says he was moved with compassion? If you've heard that preached or taught before, you've heard that the word that is used there in the language that it was written in literally means a guttural feeling. So we can relate to that, right? You've gotten that phone call or, or something's happened. You've been scared and you just get that pit in your stomach. You get that feeling in your gut. Your emotion so overwhelms you that you feel it here. Can everybody relate to that? Everybody's had something that caused you to do that? Well, that's what Jesus experienced when he looked over Jerusalem and felt compassion for the people there. Do you ever feel that way? Over other people? You, you see, when I feel the way Jesus felt, then I do the things Jesus did. So when I see what Jesus sees and feel the way that Jesus felt, I begin to do things that make a difference in my life. But it all begins with seeing the people God wants us to see. So here's your first question. Who are the people in your little corner of the world that Jesus would call the least of these. Who are the people you ride by and walk by and work with and sit in class with that you're not seeing? Could it be the homeless or the hungry or the sick or the imprisoned or the poor or the orphaned or the addicted? Or the outcast, or the trafficked, or the widowed, or the lost. Maybe like your one, that one person you're praying for. Your first application before we prepare to leave today is to ask this question Am I seeing as Jesus sees? And if not, take a moment today and ask God to help you see others as Jesus sees. But let me give you a second thing. I believe when we understand the truth of the gospel, we'll begin to care about those that others don't care about. Truth is, most people today don't care about anyone except number one. Most people just care about themselves, right? We live in a world that's filled with selfishness. And self-promotion. We're concerned with platforms. And putting ourselves out there. Most of us don't care about others. But Jesus did. In fact, say that word with me. Say others. Now listen to Philippians chapter 2. In verse 4 it says, Let each of you not only look to his own des desires or interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. 
Jesus, by his incarnation, incarnation is a word that means God incarnate, God become flesh. Jesus in his incarnation demonstrate that he's interested in others. When Jesus is incarnate in us, we necessarily become interested in others. And when you're focused on others, their situations, their circumstances, it begins to make a difference in their life. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhill.org. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.